Welcome to another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboy's look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some great YouTube content, stories and some great songs for like-minded rock music fans. Choosing from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It won't be a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to buy music, listen to an old favourite album, support a musician and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people these days do like to share their opinions, please let me know if you think that I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I won't ever check this email address at gofuckyourself.cockgoblin.com. That's cock spelt with a K. And I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. But seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, or via the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. The website also has Spotify playlists of all of the songs used in each episode, past episodes, and some other golden magic. I've also put some small playlists of the great, lesser-known artists that I feature at the end of each episode on the Victims tab of the website. Please subscribe to the podcast, share, rate, and review the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again, and here goes. Hey guys, thank you so much again for listening. Last week's 4x4 episode has had more downloads in the first five days than any other episode so far, as did the bonus episode dedicated to the great Ringo Starr. Thank you heaps to everyone who checked those out. And a special thanks to the folks who are sharing the podcast with others. Appreciate it. Thank you. Before researching this week's episode a while back, I had just watched the Queen film Bohemian Rhapsody and I had a thought about how the name Bohemian Rhapsody isn't mentioned in the song. So that opened up the rabbit hole for episode 19, Titles Not Lyrics. What's the name of that song? What's the name of that song? This one could have easily been a double episode or even a triple episode, and I may do a part two one day, and even a part three if I ever need to jump the shark, but let's open up proceedings with the before-mentioned Bohemian Rhapsody, which is part one of a mini-episode within an episode. Control room. Yes, this does actually trigger some memories for me, I've got to say. A bit plush. I think in our day, I remember there was no acoustic treatment. This is Bohemian Rhapsody backing track for me. I can distinctly remember being here and seeing you guys going through it. would be, our backing tracks were always either bass, guitar and drums, or bass, piano and drums. Yeah. And this one would be Roger, Freddie and John in there and they're putting down the backing track and there's lots of spaces in it for the um, operatic bits. Well, lots of gaps and Freddie yeah. conducting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Two. 
Roy's announcing it as well. Take one of Mark II version, Mark of, II version of Fred's thing. That's nice. That's nice. I tell you, it's, it's slower on there. He just said, "Look, I've got this very strange thing. You're going to have to be very patient, you know, when we do it, because there'll be a lot of gaps and stuff." But uh, you know, as soon as really we'd mapped it out, we we all sort of understood what was happening. But it was it was a bit confusing at first, you know. Sort of coming back a bit. Yeah. Mm. I, think, I think the piano was about there. I think yeah. it was. A bit like that. Yeah, more like yeah. that than like that. And you were over there, but there was no partition for the drums. Yeah, that's right. It was just all in one room. Yeah. And that was the drum kit. Yeah, nine AC30s, of course, but I don't think I would have had the nine in here. I think we were still saving up for the one, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, I think most likely I would have had three. Remember the first time I heard the melody? The main sort of melody, I love, love the melody. Yeah. Cool. I mean, a lot of our stuff was done Tune. written in the studio, of course, but this is an exception. Really, as Roger says, it was all in Freddie's mind before we started. Actually, Freddie was a great person to be in a band with, really, because one, he was such a great rhythmical, rhythmic uh, piano player, and it, sort of made the backing tracks very easy to do. They sort of, easy to sort of, we all sort of knitted together and they sort of swung well. His sort of bony fingers would whack it out and the backing tracks, if you listen to them now, are immaculate. You know, Freddie and Roger and John are just absolutely together. It's totally live, it's totally real. There's a feel there. As soon as you hit an E-flat chord on here, you, you think of Freddie, I do anyway. Nearly 30 years after he delivered the finished track to EMI, Roy Thomas Baker has come here to take Bohemian Rhapsody apart. I've lost it. Okay, I've lost another Galileo. There's another, there's another Galileo missing. This is the original 24-track tape in its original box. It's now so fragile that it has to be baked in an oven before it can be played, or it will disintegrate. The original mix, when we were doing it manually, it was a case of I was, I was sitting approximately here, controlling the, the, the drums, bass, piano, guitars. Um, then about here was Freddie, and he had control over, over the vocals. He would be switching vocals on and off and, and, and doing it that way. So this is the piano. This is the piano solo. This was actually done live by Freddie as we were doing the track. So, so if, when you listen to the piano tracks, you can just about hear some of the drums in the background because it was all done in one room. It wasn't done in a separate room. Um, we put covers over the piano to try and deaden down the sound of the other instruments. But the, the bass, you can hear the bass in the background, you can hear the drums. The drums, then. This is the drums on their own. 
Okay, now we're... Now, John, um, who's on bass, we spread the bass over three channels. And we had the, the drums and bass together and piano. This is the solo from, uh, from Brian. Um, that was also recorded on one track. It wasn't done on multiple tracks, it was just one track. I wanted to make a little tune that would be a sort of counterpart to the main melody. I didn't want to just play the melody. It could all have been so different, couldn't it? <laughs> so I, I can remember singing it to Freddie and, and him going, oh yeah, that would be good. Um, and I think certainly my, st my best stuff is born that way. It, it's much better for me to hear it in my head and then try and play it than sit down with the guitar and sort of let the fingers do it. The fingers tend to be a little um, predictable unless they're being led by the brain. <laughs> we were sort of Getting off on the um, on how far can we take this? You know, let, let's and how big can we make those harmonies? And, and let's make a wall of sound that, that really is a wall, and it starts down there and it goes right up. You know, and and uh, so really we were sort of quite interested in, in seeing how far you could actually go before it became totally ridiculous, or the limits of the technology stopped you. Okay, this, this is the, uh, the little Galileo section, which is um, between high vocal from Roger and low from Freddie. So this is uh, uh, Roger's track first. Galileo! 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 We used to joke about the pliers under the frock, you know. Um, we, we were lucky. We, were, we had a very good chemistry when it came to vocals. And, I mean, uh, Brian could get down quite low. Fred had this incredibly powerful voice through the middle, and I, and I was very good on all the high stuff. So we all sang every part. Bohemian Rhapsody, Queen. Easy come, easy go, will you let me go? Bismillah, no, we will not let you go. Let him go! Bismillah, we will not let you go. Let him go! Bismillah, we will not let you go. Mamma mia, mamma mia, mamma mia, let me go. Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me, for me, for me. The next song was written by Eric Clapton and George Harrison. The lyrics are not intended to make sense. Many of them were jotted down by George Harrison during drunken conversations with Ringo Starr. 
Just a side rabbit hole, George Harrison's guitar playing credit was listed on the album Angelo Di Misterioso or something. And the song's title was made up when Clapton misread Harrison's note of bridge on the music sheet. He thought it said badge. Badge by Cream. Myself and Jim, the guitar player mm. at the time, and I don't remember how it happened, but and, and they weren't coming to practice. So, well, where are they? Oh, they'll be here. Whatever, they'll come. They wouldn't. They weren't coming to practice. It turns out that you were rehearsing in the day with Roddy, mm. like a regular routine, as they were rehearsing the day. And somehow I switched That's and I true. flipped. You remember that? Yeah, that was kind of bizarre. And I flipped onto them them. somehow. I don't know if I saw you somewhere or called you somewhere or or what. Or maybe I came in early one day to like mess with my drums and they were there. There's the other half of the band over there. They're playing. It's in the same room. And then I started rehearsing with him. And, and, And I distinctly remember that is exactly like he said, that's where Epic came about. Uh, and we were just playing grooves. And it had this groove. And then later, like, uh, like piano stuff was like, um, I mean, the funny thing is we play grooves over and over, and then we recorded on tape, and I'd be driving my car, and I would listen to that groove over and over and over yeah. and over and over and over. I mean, in my car, the only thing would be that one groove playing. And I remember driving you start hearing beach. things. I remember start... driving to the beach when we had just put Epic on a cassette and listening to it. Yeah, I remember exactly. Mm, I have that tape somewhere in my and house. Oh, wow, this is a super but, powerful part. That was the first part. Super powerful part. And oh. one thing about so it was. if you hear repetition a lot, mm. your mind it's like starts creating things that aren't there. And um, it's like if you stare at a white picture of canvas, you start seeing pictures even though they don't exist. Yeah. And I would just listen to this over and over, and I started hearing the piano part uh, because I just kept hearing this thing over and over again that was that had nothing on it. Yeah. And uh, we just kind of plugged it in because I was already hearing it in my head and there it was. That was Billy Gould and Mike Borden talking about Epic by Faith No More. Feel it, see it, hear it today. If you can't, then it doesn't matter anyway. You will never understand it because it happens to fast. And it feels so good, it's like walking the glass. It's so cool, so hip, it's alright. It's so groovy, it's out of sight. You can touch it, smell it, peach is so sweet. But it makes no difference, cause it's not just what you want it out. 
This next one is a great pop Beatlesque moment from Oasis, and here's Noel and Liam talking about the song. The structure on that too, man, more than anything. Everything about it is fucking amazing. Well, I'm super proud of that. It's already one of our classics, you know. It's just so different. And it's the song about being a lazy fucker and just, but being proud of your own laziness and being amazed by your own laziness. And I like the sound of it. And I like the fact that it was recorded in our studio and, you know, with no, no outside help from anybody. And the drums are brilliant on it. And, it's a great British pop song. The Importance of Being Idle by Oasis. Lyric Rocker has a great story behind its name. Dave Grohl had a best friend from the age of 5 to 12 named Johnny Park and they hadn't been in contact for years. And Dave thought that if he named a song after him, he may get back in contact. Unfortunately, no matter where I looked on the internet, I couldn't find out if they ever reconnected. Anyway, it's a great tune and it's one of my favourites, Off the Colour and the Shape. And extra points to the Foo Fighters for spelling colour correctly on the album. Foo Fighters, hey Johnny Park. Come and I'll take you under 
And while we're in that part of the rock and roll universe, Dave's old band also had a huge song that the title doesn't appear in the lyrics. The song's title came from an incident where Kurt's girlfriend at the time had written on his wall, Kurt smells like teen spirit. Teen spirit was a brand of deodorant marketed to young girls. Smells like teen spirit. Smells like the ocean. It's so good. Wow, smells really natural. I'm a smellologist. It is Caribbean cool. And this smells good. I knew it smelled like teen spirit. Hey, this is for girls. This smells like teen spirit. Can I have it? I, I had always admired um, the B-side of the album Abbey Road, which was essentially a bunch of individual songs that were strung together by George Martin. I think what happened was the Beatles came in and they didn't have completely finished songs or wholly fleshed out ideas. And George said, what do you got? John said, well, I got this. And Paul said, well, I got that. And they all sat around and went, hmm, well, you can put this together with that. That'll fit in there. And that's pretty much what I did with Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. I had this initial uh, ballad of Brenda and Eddie. So it was, this was about the high school prom, king and queen, you know, sweethearts who break up and, and they go on with their lives. And I said, okay, well, that's not the whole story. We have to get to them. You can't just, just can't just be there. There has to be some kind of time sequence. So I started with the premise of uh, a bottle of red, a bottle of white, set up a scene where there's people sitting in an Italian restaurant talking about, starting to talk about the old days. And then the second section of that is when the sax comes in, which is supposed to represent a time change. And Mike Myers would go, which is that what's supposed to be, you know, January, February, 1975, 1972, going back in time. And that seemed like the natural place to go with an instrumental piece. Let's, let's have something that refers to a change of time. And then it, I put it into this, um, uh, this place where it's, um, things are okay with me these days. 
he's, remember those days hanging out at the village green. He starts referring back to, to the past. And then it goes into the ballad of Brenda and Eddie from there. So we realize this is kind of like trying to recreate side B of Abbey Road, except not as long, just in a shorter version. Not that I'm saying we, were, we would ever think that we could do something as good as that, but it, we, we knew what the technique was. And that's what it was. That was, of course, Billy Joel talking about his amazing, titled, not lyriced, scenes from an Italian restaurant. A bottle of red, a bottle of white. It all depends upon your appetite. I'll meet you anytime you want in our Italian restaurant. talking about the super long titled Elderly Woman Behind the Counter in a Small Town. The dude can still sing. One of my favorite songs he ever wrote was The Elderly Woman, you know, the one with the very uh, oddly long title. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that song is so beautiful and you're writing it really from a woman's point of view, I think, if I have it right. Yeah. Like, like that guitar there, I mean, would it be odd of me to ask you to, 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 to show me how you come up with that? Well, 
It was really just, I think it was more of an exercise in the morning. We were recording. We were all staying in this one little compound in, in called The Site outside of Marin, trying to make this second record. And I set up this... Um, 1960s uh, sure vocal master which was a PA like the Beatles played through when uh, they play Shea Stadium you see those little speaker columns slept between the two speakers and then that morning had a thing that I was playing through the speakers and I think Stone was sitting on the porch having coffee and asked what was that thing that you were playing and I said oh it's just a little thing what was that thing? What was the thing you were playing? It was, yeah, uh, I seem to recognize your face. So it's just basic, you know. What are you, what are you playing? D to C to G? Something yeah, like D, that? Yeah. D, D, C, D. Just one finger. Changing at all, small town predicts my fate. Perhaps that's what no one wants to see. Oh, I just want to scream. So she recognizes him, but he don't recognize her. <laughs> she come, She's working in a department store. Yeah, behind the counter. More like a, yeah, a little deli, small town. Yeah. This next song is an absolute favorite of mine since I was a wee boy. I remember it was the first song I'd ever heard that was a story song. Another big hit like Bohemian Rhapsody the year before, which was also around six minutes or more which at the time was almost double the length of a normal single. The topic was based on actual events that happened in 1974, but Rod Stewart changed the year to 1975 to rhyme with the word alive. The killing of Georgie, Rod Stewart. In these days of changing ways, so-called liberated days, a story comes to mind, a friend of mine. Georgie boy was gay, I guess Nothing more or nothing less The kindest guy I ever knew His mother's tears fell in vain The afternoon George tried to explain That he needed love like all the rest Paul said there must be a mistake How can my son not be straight After all I've said and done for him He loves a victim of these gay days, it seems. Joe 
she went to New York town Where he quickly settled down And soon became the toast of the great white way Accepted by Manhattan's elite In all the places that were chic No party was complete without George Along the boulevards he cruised And all the old queens blew a fuse Everybody loved Georgie Boy In the summer of 75 He said he was in love I said I'm pleased George attended the opening night Of another Broadway hype But split before the final curtain fell Deciding to take a shortcut home Arm in arm they meant no wrong A gentle breeze blew down Fifth Avenue This next chocolate-coated monster gets a bit deeper every verse. Finger, knuckle, elbow. Quite the escalation, but to each their own. The clever line, relax, turn around and take my hand, has always made me wince a bit and chuckle a bit too. The title isn't in the lyrics, but like The Killing of Georgie, it perfectly sums up what the song is about. Stink Fist by Tool.
A total change of pace next and a band that I utilised in the dark hole of the lockdown to help me through, as they always make me smile. Another story song, the tale is a combination of a few actual events, a different continent and a changed date, but it's still such a great song. The Bee Gees, New York Mining Disaster, 1941. Event of something happening to me. There is something I would like you all to see. It's just a photograph of someone that I knew. Have you seen my wife, Mr. Jones? Next up, we have a rocking Melbourne tune. Mark calling Orson. Come in, Orson. With a killer intro riff, then power pop genius, a body jar calling Orson. The Beatles. I have to get at least one Beatles song in every episode, and we covered the great A Day in the Life way back in episode three's Countings. That's probably my favourite Beatles tune that the title doesn't appear in the song lyrics, but I'm going to pop in a 12-bar blues, which basically chronicles the wedding of John and Yoko. The song was the band's 17th, yep, 17th and final number one single in the UK, and it wasn't featured on any official studio album. The song was recorded by only John and Paul, with Paul playing the drums. Here's a funny moment where John calls Paul Ringo and Paul calls John George. The Ballad of John and Yoko by The Beatles. You've gone a bit faster, Ringo. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, George. Okay. Okay.
Just a quick side rabbit hole on the end guitar here. That is a direct lift from the Beatles themselves when they covered a song they recorded in 1962 called Lonesome Tears in My Eyes. Pretty sure the next song was possibly called The Weight, as calling it The Load wouldn't fly, nor would Fanny Load. This band had a great singing drummer. I might do an episode on singing drummers one day. The Weight by the band. Here's Billy Corgan. The boys are going to do an old favorite. Bullet with butterfly wings. When did you come up with that riff? That is the greatest, despite all my rage, I am still a rat in a cage. I, I mean, at the time, it was a bit of a trope about the business I was in. You know, it's like the angrier you got, the 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 more silly it became. And, and then you just found yourself in a bigger cage. I mean, we live in a world now of social media where you, you can say something stupid and get a bunch of attention, but now you're just imprisoned in some other paradigm it's fucking great didn't you win a grammy for that song uh best rock performance did you, and and did you have a speech did you make the speech yeah it was very poor why were you you had all that rage well <laughs> <laughs> that year we were nominated i think for seven or eight grammys rightly so so we went to the pre-awards because we were nominated for stuff in the pre-awards and we lost every so when we when we, when we won in quotations I think we'd already lost five or six times. So I was just over it at that point. <laughs> I don't enough. know what I said, but it couldn't have been good. You ready? I'm ready. You ready? You feel good? Yeah, here we go. All right, I'll shut up. The world is a vampire. Sent to drain. Secret destroyers. Hold you up.
popping this next one in as I heard it the other day in the supermarket and it has one of the most memorable rock chorus melodies ever. From 1981, The Breakup Song by the Greg King Band. quick note that we have also covered some huge tunes that qualify for the title not being in the song's lyrics. Songs like Led Zeppelin's Black Dog, Fade to Black by Metallica, Classico by Tenacious D in episode 15's Black and Blue songs, David Bowie's Space Oddity in episode 3's Countins, Audio Slave's Cochise in episode 1's Building Intro, and I'm sure there's been some more too. Here's Graham Coxton from Blur talking about this next two-minute non-lyric titled classic. Song two. You know, this, you know this track? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know the song. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Tell us about it. How did it come about? Um, well, Damon had this little song that he had on acoustic guitar. He had demo. It was very slow on acoustic guitar, and it went... <laughs> like a wolf whistle kind yeah. of thing. I was like, this is, quite, this is quite good. Let's do it really, really fast, really, really noisy and horrible. And... Um, tell the record label that we want to re- record it as a single. That'll scare them to death. They'll hate it. <laughs> and so that's what we did. And they came in and we played it to them, giggling, going, <laughs> let's play them that one. You know the one? That second song we, we, we recorded and uh, they're like, wow, this is excellent. So our joke was foiled. And you told me <laughs> that the vocal is recorded live in the room. Yeah, I mean, if this was the live, the room yeah. I, I had down their distortion units and I was standing there, um, Alex was standing there, Damon would have been leaning up just, just over here, I imagine, with a yeah. 57. Yeah. And me and David put a drum track down uh, where Dave was... And yeah. I was going... And I was going... Clicking on the side of the... Of, of the of the of the um, floor tom, I think, or the mounted tom, and going. Yeah, so so those hits and the click. Oh wow! And that, and we made a loop out of that, I think, and then made a loop without my bits for the chorus. I think um, Streety got this loop together for the whole song. Yeah. Because it was only going to be a laugh. Then we just put the guitars on it in one big and a couple of overdubs and... Song 2 by Blur. Wasn't easy, but nothing is. No. 
another great British track from the late 90s. This was the first song I'd heard from these guys, and apart from his hardcore inhaling before each line, I loved it. The song title was taken directly from the entry in the dictionary immediately before their band name, Muse Muscle Museum. She had something to confess to, but you don't have the time, so look the other way. You will wait until it's over to reveal what you never shown her. Too little, much too late. late 90s British classic, which the band says they copied the form and structure straight off the Beatles' Happiness is a Warm Gun. Guitarist Ed O'Brien stated, we wanted to make a crossing of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody and the Pixies. Paranoid Android by Radiohead.
There's a man there you know He's the host of the show And you'll find that he fucking hates choirs I'm not sure why this one annoyed me more than usual, but it's perfect for the segment. Here's a la-la-laden choral arrangement of Paranoid Android. I'm not sure why this one annoyed me more than usual, but it did, so it's perfect for the segment. Here is a la-la-laden example of Just Because You Can Doesn't Mean You Should of Paranoid Android. watching the beat and there's still more music to come but we've been joined now I'm very pleased to say by the Stone Temple Pilots who are in town at the moment Wyland and Dean to the pro- um, welcome to the program Thanks. now you're a relatively new name to British audiences here so give us an outline of where the band came from I mean how did you characters first meet up in the uh, in the first place characters um, actually I met Robert about five and a half years ago and shortly after that met Eric and we started writing some songs and recording some things together and um, and started playing out with a different guitar player and for a, about a year and a half we were kind of not happy with the overall gist of things so we then uh, kind of coerced Dean into coming up and jamming with us and it was just a good vibe and and uh, he's a better kisser than uh, <laughs> so. Well, I'm not sure if I'm going to find out this afternoon. Um, I mean, what was the idea with the band? I mean, was it sort of something quite loose, quite laid back, or was there kind of like a definite plan of action when you formed? No, we just, just figured, you know, we'd write as many songs as possible and play to jam together as much as possible and play as many shows as we could cram into a, um, a, you know, a month or a week and just, you know, see what happened, really. I mean, everyone's got very diverse sort of musical backgrounds so we're not all from the same kind of upbringing and music so there's probably a lot of things we felt we could influence each other with and kind of throw into a big old pot you know like a big old steaming gumbo or something and uh, just um, continue playing not really uh, focusing on any kind of overall goal like like getting him uh, major record deal or anything just you know actually trying to avoid that kind of thing and ho- the Hollywood thing really and focusing more where Dean was from in San Diego because it was more of a uh, less homogenized anally retentive sort of sort of thing so we just started playing and once we were to the point where we wanted to start putting out records on you know whatever kind of way um, looking at a few local San Diego indie, indie labels. Uh, we were approached by Atlantic and the situation turned out to be a good one. We were guaranteed, you know, full, complete control of whatever we wanted to do artistically and haven't been hampered, so really don't have any complaints so far. Has British music been an influence? In, on oh, that? man, terribly so, terribly so. I mean, grew up, I mean, to as we speak, I think one of the best bands ever, you know, Zeppelin. And, uh, you know, I was very influenced growing up by Bowie and Queen and tremendous effect on my 
fucking bomb. Low flying pigeons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as all kinds of things. I mean, see, those are the one side of things, and there's also, you know, all kinds of other, um, you know, bands from everything from, uh, uh, you know, The Clash to, um, you know, Bauhaus to Elvis Costello that are things that really inspired me. I could go on and on. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm very pleased to say you got your guitar on you and you're going to perform a song for us. Sure. Yeah? What song are you going to do? Oh, this is a song called Plush. It's our new single in the United States of America. <laughs> so this is a bit of an exclusive for the beat. All yours. I'll let you take it away. Thanks. <clears throat> do it twice. The original title of this next classic was The Devil Is My Name. Here's Keith talking about the song and the band rehearsing and Mick feeling out some lyrics. And sometimes you never know whether you're recording, you go in there with everything sort of planned and, and it just doesn't click.
Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain. Made damn sure the pilot washed his hands and sealed his face. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guessed my name. But what puzzling you is the nature of my game. Stuck around St. Petersburg. So that's the last of my pick of the songs that the title doesn't appear in the song lyrics, but there were so many great ones that I had to leave out. Before I get to my favourite, I want to include a funny, crazy or interesting story in each episode about one of the songs or artists. And today's story is about Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. When the album was finished, they had to decide on a single. At six minutes long, though, Bohemian Rhapsody was considered a huge gamble. I had an acetate of it, and I played to a couple of people. One of them was Elton John. And I played it to him, and he said, Are you fucking mad? But Queen had a powerful ally. We invited uh, Kenny Everett along, and um, he listened to it, and he said... That's wonderful, that's great. They should have a new position. It shouldn't be one, it should be a position above that, like half. And that's where it should be, it should be half. And uh, we gave him a copy and we said, whatever you do, you, you can't play this. And he said, okay, I won't play it. And winked. And then that following weekend, he played it like 14 times, you know, on, on his Radio Capital show. Capital Radio has said... BBC and got itself another exclusive scoop of rooty. Yes, friends, Freddie pressed it into my hot little hand this very last nightness, and he said, go forth and be fab, Ken. So, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time anywhere in this universe of ours, we present at this moment of time the new Queen single. I usually do a recapping of all the songs, but I ran out of time this week. And hopefully this explains it and makes up for it. It'll probably come as no surprise to you. And after spending 10 minutes discussing it on the phone, in which that time he could have done it, but thinks it's better that I waste my time recording yet another fucking track just so he doesn't have to do anything. So yeah, you guess it this week. There'll be no recapping. So my favourite song with a title that doesn't appear in the song's lyrics is by Coldplay. I actually got free tickets to see Coldplay on their Russia Blood to the Head tour and I wasn't really a fan or looking forward to it, but I went along and I was blown away by them and the show. 
This song was the absolute highlight and caved my head in on the night. Chris Martin had to learn to sing the song backwards for the film clip, and here's him trying to remember it a few years later. Let's go. Okay. Let me remember. So this is a bit of the chorus, right? Okay. Perfect. I-, I have reversed the audio here. Not too bad. Here's the band talking about the writing process. This record, we started in London, you know, we'd just come off two years of touring and we really wanted to record lots of new songs and we recorded them all in London. And and then we went away and I reckon that we realised that we'd actually been coasting a bit on that recording session and just finding our feet again and, you know, just thinking that this could be an awful lot better. And then we, by some amazing stroke of blessing or whatever, we, we ended up back in this little room that we did some of the first record on. There's a room in Par Street where the, where it's just great to play music in and just sit and play for hours and hours. And we always manage to write things there. Whereas other studios haven't been as creative in. And it was just like, well, you know, here we are, well, you know, what are we going to do? And that was when songs like The Scientist, it just landed and daylight just landed. And so it's just, it was just a good time to go back because we needed some new songs. And it was a really exciting time. Because, you know, we saw, you know, we can do anything, we can do anything. Chris just went in one weekend, he was just in the studio on his own, and then we all came back on the Monday and he goes, I've got this song, and, and it just recorded it straight down as it was, and, and we kept that original take, and it was just, you know, it was just all there straight away, and it was just so, such an immediate, exciting moment. The best moment of the entire record for me was when, after Johnny had heard it, this was about three weeks later when we'd come back to this song, and I just heard through a wall this riff, and it was what he does at the end. And, and, it, and that's my favourite bit of music on the record. So my choice for my favourite song, where the title doesn't appear in the lyrics, is obviously The Scientist by Coldplay.
Thank you so much again for listening. It still does blow me away that anyone anywhere is tuning in and it is slowly building every episode. I'm going to keep doing the podcast anyway, so numbers don't really matter, but it is nice to know that anyone is enjoying it, so I do appreciate it. Thank you. Special thanks to Rob Dean at Fly and Chopstick Studios for the podcast music, including this week's new one, and thanks to Paddy Cummings at Fingerprint Audio for web and tech help. And as mentioned at the start, if you do want to tell me anything I missed, could do better or got wrong in this free podcast that took me a few full days to put together, please send me an email at, here we go, why am I wasting my time emailing this cock goblin at hot pants? Go stink fist yourself at choir practice forward slash myspace semicolon knob jockey and I'll get back to you as soon as I'm able. But seriously, you can hit me up on Facebook and Instagram, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast. And a quick thanks to Dan Signo for sending me Big Wreck and Ian Thornley, who I'd never heard. That was so good. Thank you, Dan. And also check out the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, for all past episodes and bonus episodes, and for Spotify playlist of all the great songs featured in every episode. Please subscribe and share the podcast, and follow me on Instagram for a heap of rock and roll related fluff a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast and another thanks to everyone who has rated the podcast the ratings really really do help so i really appreciate that we're currently on 99 ratings so let's see if we can get it to 100 this week thanks again each week i like to end the podcast with a lesser known band that qualifies for the week's topic and this week is our first non-australian band and we'll head over to Over the four or so months that I've been doing the podcast, I've had quite a few bands hit me up to play a song on the podcast. 
But my main ethos for doing the podcast has been to try and love every song that I use. And although a lot of the bands are great, just not my cup of tea. And I want to be able to stand by the podcast in the future like a little brain time capsule. Some of the bands have been very good, just not good enough to leave out a friend's band. As the original music culture in Melbourne is very strong, and most of my friends have or have had great bands that I love. Two bands that have stood out over the journey as cold hit-ups are Elephant Gun, who I featured in episode 17, and these guys, California's Gamma Senin. I'll spell it here, G-A-M-A-S-E-N-N-I-N. Their singer and main man, Kevin Maguire, hit me up on Instagram with a bio, and it read really good, but the album wasn't out yet. I waited for the album to come out, and then I checked it out, and it's really fucking good. So check out the Victims tab of the website, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, for a short playlist of some of their tunes, and dig deeper if you love it. The record is out through Jack White's Third Man label on vinyl, so hunt it down and give it a little bit of a stroke. Thanks for sending it through, Kev. And here's the Gamma Senin with their titled not lyric, It's the Altitude. Thanks again, guys. See ya. the outside